Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin. Joining me as he always does for our final recap of the Australian Open is my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the guy who's going to claim he's more tired despite it being midnight Eastern time, Maxwell DeBauer Rothman. Maxie, hey, great shot. I will always say that I am more tired than you after staring at a screen crunching numbers versus <laughs> you who gets to talk to people. That is invigorating. You are doing the people's work, and I'm proud of you. That went such a different direction than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, hey, great shot by you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very invigorating. That's kind of you to say. But I'm just trying to make sure you don't have any excuses for this final pod because, as we mentioned, this will be our final podcast recapping the 2019 Australian Open in all of its glory. Before we do that, we want to remind you, if you missed any of the action, if you want to catch up from anything, round one through the final rounds, check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. We know there's also been a ton of other tennis going on. There have been some challengers. Obviously, it was ITA kickoff weekend this past weekend. Any tennis you missed, anything you want to catch up on, check out our wrap our website check out our racket i almost said hey great shot by me <laughs> you know if you want other updates follow our social media accounts twitter instagram facebook youtube listen rate subscribe review this pod as well as our other podcast the cracked interviews podcast we've had a ton of fun guests on there even getting back to the college side i got the chance to talk with brian bolin tony bruski uh, oklahoma coach nick crowell so many great coaches before this college season began and a lot of their thoughts are still relevant but Max Rothman, college tennis aside, it was a hell of an Australian Open. It was, and and I also want to make sure to just give a a, a special shout out to Westoff, who is working his ass off over at the Cleveland Challenger. Uh, we're gonna continue to have coverage of that on everything, as Alex just said. But I uh, wanted to make sure to give a special shout out to that guy because he's a beast, and even got asked for a signature, which is hilarious <laughs> and awesome at the same time. Can uh, we get an but- applause for him, please? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, Australian Open. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about that right now. But uh, it was awesome. I, I think it. we said it in last pod. You asked if it was what we were expecting. And and I think it was. I think everything about it was great. Uh, I know you weren't you know, hoping for a, another rematch of Djokovic-Nadal in the final. But uh, it's what we got. And I'll be honest, I wasn't thrilled following the results of that match considering it wasn't you know, the highest quality match, uh, but but we'll dive into that in a, in a little bit. I think even before we get into Djokovic and Nadal, we should talk about the far more exciting singles yep. final of the Absolutely. two major fi- uh, of the professional finals, I should say. This was also not only the more exciting, but the longer of the two matches. I, of course, am talking about number four seed Naomi Osaka's 7-6-5-7-6-4 win over number eight seed Petra Kvitova. Osaka wins her second Grand Slam in a row, and fun fact, she becomes the first player since Jennifer Capriotti in 2001 to win her first two Grand Slam titles back-to-back. Max, the level of tennis in this match was so incredible. Uh, you know, the stat I want to start with, total points, Osaka 116, Kvitova 112. The margin really was that thin. It was, and and honestly, looking at the stats, I, it's interesting. I actually thought there were more unforced errors than are on paper. I, they may be a little generous. They might be, because I think throughout the match, I agree, level was very high. Uh, but also, I felt at times like you saw some weird sporadic errors here and there. And, um, but, you know, overall, super entertaining match. Uh, I think a few things stood out. One, the Osaka backhand is awesome. Um, two, the Kvitova backhand is awesome, especially her down the line backhand. Um, and I know you're a backhand, you know, fe- connoisseur. Uh, that's that's a, a bit of a stretch, but you, you like backhands. Um, Snob, maybe? Snob's probably more accurate, yeah. Uh, so, fun fun to watch, and uh, I kind of want to hear your takes on the match before I get too far into mine, because I, I know we had a an almost disagreement before the pot even started. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk how this match went down. That first set, a tiebreaker set. There were no breaks of serve there. Osaka at 3-all goes down, love 40, ends up digging her way out of that holding the way she was able to do that more often than not 
she had to make a first serve. And you look at the statistics from this, Osaka makes 62% of her first serves. That's good enough to get the job done. Wins 76% of those first serve points. When she's able to attack off of that first ball, make Kvitova play a little bit of defense, that's when she had her most success. You know, how she got into trouble, how she goes down love 40 like she does in that first set, it's the second serve points. You know, she averages only 86 miles per hour on the second serve, goes 19 of 42 with only a 45% conversion rate. Yet still, in so many big moments, as you mentioned, she found a big backhand down the line. She got Kvitova stretched with a forehand cross court. She survives that first set hold. You know, they end up, I think she has two or three set points on the 5-6 game with Kvitova serving and then just plays a dominant tiebreaker. Now you get into the second set. You talked about the Kvitova backhand down the line. She goes up an early break in the second set just throughout the match. Her go-to combo was, especially on the ad side serving, hit the ad side serve out wide, get uh, Osaka stretched off the court, and then either hit an in, a down-the-line forehand or, as you mentioned, a down-the-line backhand, miss foot Osaka, a cross-court backhand, get her scattering around the court. Both of these players dictated so well. To me, the the small margin is Osaka's ability to play a little bit better defense. And where we were going to disagree with Rothman, and I'm sorry because that was quite the rant, and you do look like you're tired and you're about to yawn, but <laughs> I think the thing Osaka did really well was hit her forehand on the run, get that ball cross-court, really get Kvitova stretched, not let her just dictate from the center of the court. And that's when she found advantages. To add on to that, you may say, well, her backhand was even better. I agree. Her backhand, the fact that she was able to withstand Kvitova, who could hit her off the court sometimes, but when she was able to redirect backhands down the line, sometimes she hit some incredible backhands cross-court. Yeah, Osaka's defensive abilities is what allowed her to win this match. Yeah, you said a lot there. Uh, um, <laughs> hey, great So, so I'll, I'll kind of just, you know— divert to to my thoughts because uh, I don't really know where to, to go with that. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. I'll, I'll start with agreeing on the defense. I think that's something that really sets Osaka apart from a lot of players. Um, I think, you know, people in, in the past have tried to compare her to Serena in the way that she dominates from the ground. Uh, but I think the one thing that she does way better than Serena is move and hit uh, those running backhand slices. Oh my god. I, I'm not... Don't I don't like comparing. The, the comparison yeah. to Serena is just so tough because the serve for Serena was so much better. Oh my god! So the, I, I also think a, I also on, think on, a young I, Serena no. moved way better. Uh, okay, I, I don't know if she moves way better. No, not I, way I better, think... but way better than she does now. Sorry, so it's, <laughs> it's a tough comparison. But go on. <clears throat> I was gonna say I I think the fact that you don't. Okay, you didn't say this, but I can tell from the way that your your inflection is that you don't think that Osaka has a dominant serve, and I think you're so wrong. I think her first serve is absolutely dominant, Is wins her a lot of free points. I will say her second serve is weak and actually gets picked on uh, well, that's by That's the difference by between her and Serena, right? Sure. Yeah, but, I, but then you, you take the other side where she's a little bit quicker. I think she's a better defensive player. Uh, but the other thing she's missing also is her net game. I, I think that's a, a huge component of Osaka's game that she's missing. She only went to the net three times, didn't win any of those points. Uh, but at the same time, dude, she's 21 years old. Like, she, she's got, you know, 15-plus more years to, you know, get that down and become more aggressive and work on her net game, and, and you're smiling. Well, I know you crunch numbers, but 15 years, that puts her at 36. That's a lot. That's Serena-esque. That's that's right. Serena. But Serena's the exception. She's not the rule. I, I, I don't think she's the exception anymore. I think that age Aww. in tennis okay. as a whole is, is increasing. Dude, this is what we've been talking about. Think about it, especially on the men's side. There's not a Grand Slam winner who's under 30 in the last, like, you know, 10 years. Or not 10 years, but it's, you know, a lot of Grand I, Slams. And so... I think that is, is a trend that's happening across the board in uh, sports as a whole. I would like to examine that more because I'm just unsure. I, I don't know well enough about the women's game in particular. You know, last year we saw Halep, we saw Wozniacki. Those are still players in their mid-20s. We've seen Sloane Stevens. We've seen 
younger players break through, except for Serena. She's the exception on the women's side. And I think it's so unfair to Naomi Osaka, who's a star in her own right, of course. You know, the way she smiles in post-match conferences, her innocence that you hear when she's answering questions. She really does just seem to be in love with the moment and all those things. It's so great to compare her to Serena is the most unfair thing any person can do. And I get traits from the the baseline, the backhand, uh, you automatically want to say because she's so dominant. Well, the only person who's dominated tennis over the last women's tennis over the last 20 years is Serena. So I get why that's the natural thing to do. I just think Osaka, there's a, yes, she shows a lot of great traits. Her ability, as I mentioned, the second set, you know, I think she's up 5-3, love 40, blows three match points on the Kvitter return game, gets broken at 15, then broken at love down 5-6 in that second set, double falls the second set away, the way she's able to come back from that rebound for a third, that's so impressive mm-hmm. from a 21-year-old, but still, I'm not ready to even touch the Serena comparisons. That's fair, and I, and I want to just, you know, add on to that point about her, you know, losing that serve and coming back. I think something that she's really exemplified throughout this tournament, especially also in her match against Pliskova, was that she oftentimes, you could see her get shaky and nervous and throw away games. I mean, in the second set of her match against Pliskova, just threw away her service game at 4-5 or five and gave the set away. And then comes back, second game of the third set, and breaks. And so... I think this is the thing we're seeing from her is just her mental toughness, her ability to come back and, and kind of regather herself and, and play strong tennis. Um, the thing also I want to point out just that you said about uh, her, you know, post-match interviews and her, you know, kind of a, a attraction to the crowd and everything. I can't wait for when she gets a little more confident and <laughs> starts, like, feeling herself because right now she, like, shit on herself in her – and match interview. She's like, I'm telling you guys this is going to suck and it's going to suck for a long time. And I'm sorry that I disappoint. It's like, I can't wait until she starts getting a little bit of that Gruskin cockiness in her. And then she, oh man, it's going to be awesome. I think she's going to be even more dominant on the court. Yeah, and you look at some of the things she did in this match again. 3 of 14 on break points had a lot of chances. So did Kvitova, to her credit. She goes 3 of 10. We said before it was an either-or match. You mentioned the Osaka not having a net game. 0 of 3 in this match at the net. She didn't move forward at all. Kvitova, an efficient 10 of 12. Sometimes, I mean, she really could hit through Osaka, which is so hard to do, and that's a testament to her power, her ability to set herself up for success and be aggressive. But in the end... You know, when the margins are, it's a four uh, point total point difference. There's a 7-5 set, a 6-4 setter, and a 7-6 set. When you make 33 unforced errors for Osaka versus Kvitova making 39, sometimes that little difference is literally what matters. And that's how thin these margins were. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at the stats, like you said, they're, they're all close. The match was close. I think it came down to, honestly, Osaka, like I said, having that mental toughness and just being clutch when she needed to. Yeah, and some we'll end here with some fun stats for her. I mentioned her being the first one to win back-to-back since Capriati. She's the first Asian player to reach world number one in singles. At this time last year, she was ranked number 72. And this, to me, is the most fun stat. Max Rothman, Naomi Osaka has won three total tournaments in her career in singles, or at least at the professional level, or, AT, or WTA or higher. Indian Wells... U.S. Open, Australian Open. That's nuts. Only the big time, baby. Yeah, she's a primetime player, and I know we have some fun hypotheticals um, moving forward, but any final thoughts on this match? No, look, I mean, she's the first Asian player to reach number one, and she's there now, and and I expect to see her there for, you know, hopefully the duration of this year, and if not for the next couple. You talk about someone you expect to see at world number one. I think the obvious conversation now, Novak Djokovic, the number one seed, takes out Rafa Nadal. (laughs) Has been and will be the number one. (laughs) Exactly. And just one of the most dominant performances I've seen in a major final in quite a bit of time from two guys who are, you know, big four players, and we don't have... Can we not get into that debate right now, please, Rothman? I'm just, it's too late <laughs> for that. Three, but you, okay. you get it's what okay. I'm saying. These primetime matches, we haven't seen a beatdown like this. In fact, it's the first straight set loss in a Grand Slam final of Rafa's career. Why was Novak so good in this one? 
Uh, dude, I don't, I don't know why he was so good. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's an unfair question. So, as I've mentioned, I mean, I've been working on my transitions. I'm trying to cut out the shitty words. That that was yeah. my best attempt. What do you think of that's, my segue from Djokovic Osaka? That's <laughs> that, you've had better. Um, but look, so there's that ego. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, Djokovic. Yeah, he played amazing. Uh, it, it's interesting. It, I, I don't know which McEnroe said it, but literally during the warm-ups, um, they were talking about it, and one of them commented that Nadal looked a little shaky, a little off, and then the second that first game started, you saw it happening. Um, I, look, I, Djokovic looks calm, and they were, they were saying that too. He just looked like he was ready to be out there and, and play some tennis, and Nadal looked slow. There's, there's a lot of things to say. Djokovic even said after this match that it's one of the best performances he's ever had in a Grand Slam final. Nadal admitted after the match that he got outplayed. I think, you know, he's kidding himself if he, he thinks that he just got outplayed. He clearly did not play his best tennis. Um, but, th- I mean, there's not a ton to say except that Djokovic is, was just amazing and, and Nadal was not up to par. Well, we talked about this in the final. It seems like we've talked about this since the quarterfinal, since we knew this was going to end up as the final match. The thing Novak Djokovic does best is his backhand. The fact he can take returns yeah. early. He can take he you know, neutralizes. balls early cross court, early down the line. He can do so many things. Sorry, go ahead. As he neutralizes the Nadal forehand, and and more importantly, the Nadal the serve out, out wide, wide serve. Yeah. yeah, completely. And the serve down the tee as well. He doesn't allow Nadal to hit first forehands. And I think the thing Novak did particularly well in this match, he changed direction on Nadal so often. And for Nadal, his opponents usually are like, I need to target the Nadal backhand side. That's the side I'm going to hit everything to. That is not what Djokovic did at all. He would go backhand cross, backhand cross, backhand down the line. If Nadal hits that off of the backhand down the line, you know, now Nadal gets back in and he went cross, Djokovic would go forehand down the line again, keep Nadal moving side to side. And as good as Rafa is, he is not the Rafa of five years ago. He's not going to scatter side to side like he used to on a hard court. He wants to be able to dictate with his serve, with his uh, plus one forehand. And Novak just took that away from him. One of the most interesting stats in this Rothman, you know, Rafa makes 64% of his first serve. He had made 69% coming into the match. Wins only 51% of his first serve points versus 62% of his second serve points. That to me is just hilarious. That's just saying, you know, Djokovic just was neutralizing everything. Yeah, it didn't matter. I mean... you said that he he won fifty. Excuse me. You said that Nadal won fifty one percent of his first serves and previously was winning eighty one percent of his first serve points. I mean, look, I I know Djokovic is you know the premier returner, one of the best ever, but that is absurd. I mean, if you're only winning half of your first serve points, there's something wrong, especially for Nadal. Well, there is something to saying Tsitsipas, Dimonauer, all the uh, Burdich are not Novak Djokovic, and no. Of course, of course. But for Djokovic in this match, he wins 42% of the receiving points he played. I think he broke Rafa maybe the third game uh, or fourth game of that first set. He came out on fire, just did not miss. I think he lost one point on serve in the first set. He was the guy hitting aces out wide to Rafa on the do side. And then because Rafa wanted to cheat over and hit forehand side, he'd keep him honest with aces down the tee. You know, he hit the slice down the tee on the ad side really well kept changing direction. I can't keep reiterating that. And he comes to the net efficiently going 16 of 18. When Rafa was stretched, he knew to move forward. He employed drop shots in this match. We don't see that out of him. And then a lot of drop shots. Yeah. He, because Rafa can't move like he used to. It's just a fact. And, but the most important, I, I, okay. I, I hear you. He doesn't move as well as he used to, but he moved abnormally slow in this match. I don't feel like the rest of the tournament when I was watching him, that I was seeing that from him. Am I wrong? You, I just don't. That's the guys are on such a different caliber than Novak Djokovic. He makes nine unforced errors in this match. He's playing Rafa Nadal, and he made nine fucking unforced errors. That is absurd. That at just no point did he try to gun forehands down or backhands down the line. And when he did, he just made it. Yeah, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm actually surprised that again that I didn't see a higher number for Nadal because. I don't know the last time that I saw Nadal shank like seven forehands and backhands in a match. I mean, there there were literally seven to eight full on 
Max Rothman forehand shanks in that match from Nadal. It was unbelievable. He was stretched. He was gassed. Djokovic did not miss. He was so relentless. And you look at some of the things now. Djokovic has won eight matches in a row, 17 straight sets on hard court against Nadal. Just some fun things. His record in his first 13 Grand Slam finals was 6-7. and seven. As I mentioned, he, not only is he younger then, but that's a prime Nadal, a prime Federer he's playing in those finals, sometimes even a prime Murray. In the next 11 Grand Slam finals, he goes 9-2. and two. He's reached 22 out of the last 34 majors, has won 14 titles in that span. He lost 62 total games in this tournament, the second lowest amount of games he's ever lost on his way to a major title in his career. His all-time record now at the Australian Open, 68-8. and eight. I, I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but Novak Djokovic is the best hardcore player I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I, I want to save. Well, maybe I'll just bring out that. That let's talk about it now. It. I, I the goat debate. Yeah. We're not doing. We're not doing that now. That's it's a I, stupid no, debate. I, I, I'll take that take out of our hot takes section. He he is the best hardcore player of all time. Uh, he's eighty four point three. He's an excuse me. He's an eighty four point three percent win percentage on hard courts. That's five hundred forty nine wins to one hundred and two losses. That is it's insane. He has fifty five hard court titles. I mean, the guy is just—he's a maniac. It, it, there's there's nothing else to say. He is—he has to be the best. I mean, you transitioned into some of the stats from this, as you've mentioned, uh, for uh, Novak Djokovic. If you look at the amount of majors won by any player after turning the age of 28, he's won seven. Agassi and Federer have won five. Nadal, Wawrinka have won three. You look at majors won after turning 29, Agassi's at five. Federer and Djokovic now tied at four. Nadal, three. There is no doubt to me Novak Djokovic is going to win at least, at least, two more grand slams on hard courts in his career. And that, you know, then he owns the majors after 29 record. Now that he's at 17 grand slams at that point, I think two is such a conservative number too. Who's to say a Zverev or Tsitsipas raises their level to that uh, length because he just, he didn't look like he could be stopped. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I know I I'm rambling, to... but it's just true. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, Look, I hate saying it because I, you know, I think a lot of people would hate saying that he might be considered the greatest of all time because of Federer's run and and that debate is gonna, you know, start really happening as he wins a couple more Grand Slams. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm also looking at now Federer's hard court statistics and they are nearly as impressive. We won't we won't get into it right now, but uh, there's what's a the very win percentage? Clear, so Federer's hard court statistics, he's 83.4% on hard court. That's 742 wins to 148 losses. He's got 68 hard court titles. I mean... That's pretty insane. But Djokovic has all nine masters. I mean, yes, this debate can be had. Both guys are insane. It. And, you know, let's end our Australian Open coverage with a, a few more stats from the round. You look at at the men's doubles, just to mention it real quick, Nikola Mahut and Pierre Huzerbeer complete the career Grand Slam, uh, winning this title. Now they've won doubles ma- major. I'm glad you brought ever. that up. Yeah, it's, they're an adorable doubles team. Oh, my God. If you watched their interview at the end, the, I mean, there might Two be guys questions. who love – no, they they're, love each they're... other as much as we do. I, I... – <laughs> <laughs> and now people are going to bring up the question again. No, but literally, I, I couldn't help but think when the way that they were talking about it up there was the way that the USTA National Campus, uh, uh, what's it? Yeah, the no, USTA and, National and, Campus brought <laughs> broadcasters during our match were talking about us, thinking we were just outrageous. Uh, the, no, yeah, like, no, they're they're great together. Who does his hair the way you tell me what to wear? If if we're going out, and you're like, you got to present yourself. Come on, blah, 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 blah. It's, I mean, someone's got to tell you. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And hey, great shot to you. But yeah, they're a great doubles. They're, I almost called them a doubles couple as opposed to a doubles <laughs> pair. <laughs> hey, great shot. That's a great yeah. new thing that we got to keep going. Yeah, the doubles very, couples. Very happy from them. Some other stats. We've mentioned it. Now you look at the most slam titles in the open era. Federer's at 20. Nadal's at 17. Djokovic is at 15, Sampras 14, Borg 11, Agassi Connors, Lendl 8. If you're going to make a case for a big three, it probably starts there. 
Most slams won at a single major. Nadal's got 11 Frenches. I feel like we'll never appreciate that stat as much as we should. And I've mentioned this before. Alex Vierov was so good last year on the clay, and it just doesn't matter because Nadal's that dominant. Uh, Federer, eight Wimbledons. But now Djokovic ties Sampras. Djokovic has seven Australians. Sampras, seven Wimbledons. Uh, you look at consecutive seasons making at least one Grand Slam final. Uh, Djokovic, 7, number 5. Borg, 4, 8. Nadal, 10, 3. Sorry, that's a lot of numbers. The point is they've all made a ton of Grand Slams in their (laughs) career, and it, again, stands out. And then the last one for you, Rothman, and this is just a fun one, uh, a little game of Alex's trivia. So I suppose, Westoff, if you want, cue the trivia sound effect. Max Rothman, after this Australian Open, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, all in the lead for most weeks inside the ATP Top 50 in singles. Can you name the fourth and fifth ranked player? Oh, damn. My, like, the literal first name that comes up is Ferrer, just because I feel like he was in the top. No longer in the ATP top 50. So, can't he would have been oh. if he was still. But, no, I'm saying right now they are players currently in the top 50. That means there are only 48 other guys to choose from. Who right now, in terms of consecutive weeks, number four and five? Just while you're thinking, some stats for you listeners. Fetters at 973 weeks in a row. Not even going to talk about how nuts that is. Nadal, <laughs> 731 weeks. What? Djokovic, 660 weeks. What? Uh, Max Rothman, you should be able to name number four. I know you'll laugh at number five. Um... <laughs> well, I feel like Jisner has been in the top 50 forever. Did you like, cheat? No. Do you promise? Yeah. John, I, I Is- just lit- John Isner, number Is five, 490 weeks. No, he's number five. Oh, uh, okay. But I, but great dude, he's, guess. Because, li- dude, he literally he never leaves the top, like, 10 to 20. Like, he's literally <laughs> always there, and he's like, what? He's 30. How old is he? He's old. Like, 30 he's getting something. Old now. He's married. Yeah, so exactly he's old enough so i mean yeah he it, I, I figured he was one of them um so it's another guy in the top 50 that's been there for a while this is the obvious one isner was the one i thought you might not get i feel like i'm thinking too obscure because i'm like i'm thinking you know burditch who now is top 50 was top 50 for a long time but he dropped out with injury oh right because he dropped out okay so he's been there who, who else is in the top 50 right now who is just always around? His stench lingers in that it's top not, 50. It's not Anderson. No. Um, I don't want to give you a hint because you'll, you'll know Larenka. it. No. Because he, he dropped out. Who's a guy who hasn't been injured? He's always around. When you least expect it. The sneakiest tall person in the world. Literally, <laughs> if he was in your room right now, you uh, would know. Are uh, you talking about Chilich? <laughs> yeah, Marin Chilich, number four, five hundred fifty-two yeah. weeks inside the top fifty. I just thought I thought the Israel one was interesting. Uh, Chilich's dominance isn't a I fair just, word to say, but I, I, for some reason, I feel like he's he hasn't been in. I don't know. I think I think, I think you just you, people don't think about. I think about Chilich as like a you know last few years top ten player. I don't really think about him as like you know last long stretch top 50 player because he just wasn't a big name until the last couple years i mean what <laughs> one of my oldest tennis takes and i swear you can ask eric he'll tell you it's true i said marin chillich was gonna win a grand slam so when he did i was ecstatic but i promise you i knew his skinny ass for someone to be that tall and move that well at the baseline that he had a grand slam in him uh, Look, he's he's still uh, no, nah, I don't think he's got it. <laughs> well, that leads us to the fun part of this uh, podcast. We haven't done one of these in a while. It's been far too long, so let's do it now, Max Rothman. If you could, West off, cue the drum roll, please. <clears throat> it's time for this week's changeover chat. The changeover chat. <laughs> You did not sound rusty. I'm impressed. Good for you. 
it's a little different, but uh, yeah, there. I'll blame the uh, the recent sickness. It's, it's not. <laughs> All right, that's no, great. But so we want to do two <clears throat> things in this changeover chat. The first thing I want to do: take a break from the Australian Open talk to ask you, Max Rothen. You had the chance to go to a challenger final, be on scene for this match. Taylor Fritz takes out Braden Schnurr, seven six six four, wins his second straight Newport Challenger event, gets a healthy sum of points, and I believe is now up to a career high number forty. You know what was that match like? How was the challenger experience? Um, well, first of all, the, the tournament is, excuse me, well, first of all, the tournament was run really well. I mean, the facility is great. Newport beach tennis club is, is pretty great. Um, I played a few junior tournaments there, uh, back in my time, which was a uh, kind of a nice throwback. Um, but a little, I was so frustrated. I, uh, so there's great poke out in Newport and there was like some place that I was recommended to go. I was super excited. Got my pokeball. I was ready to, you know go eat it, watch the match. And I get there and the security guard literally would not let me in with my poke bowl. She said no outside food. And I <laughs> kid you not, I sat outside on the sidewalk and stuffed it before I went in there <laughs> so that I, so that I could eat it before the match. Um, like I, I, but I started eating it during their warm up, and I got there before the first game started. So I, that, that's how fast I ate my poke. Um, <laughs> hey, great but, job by you. Thanks. But there was uh, a really big audience there. I, I, there were probably, I want to say like 300-ish people, uh, which is pretty big for a challenger final, especially if you watch uh, a replay of that match. You'll you'll see the facility. It's not huge as far as, uh, you know, seating goes. Um but yeah, it it, uh, it was a it was a good match. I honestly I can't even believe that Fritz played this tournament. He didn't really need to, and you know there's a reason he got the wild card. He he chose to play pretty late. Um, he didn't need the points. He I don't know. He just must have been exhausted. He looked exhausted. I'm honestly shocked that Schnur wasn't able to pull through that first set. He had opportunities. He was up in the tie break. Um, but it was so clear that Fritz was the better player. I mean. When Fritz wanted to win the points, he won the points. Uh, so, anyways, super fun match to watch. Uh, you know, kind of cool to see how they're up there serving big, uh, knowing that I can serve just as hard as them felt pretty good too. <laughs> um, only other thing I will say, I just couldn't stand some of the uh, commentary I heard from from people around me. There was some some stupidity flying around. It was, it was tough to hear. Well, you talk about Taylor Fritz and how good he looked. I think that's the perfect way to segue into our next thing we're going to do, talking about takeaways from the Australian Open, giving some of our takes. We're going to do a new segment that we're calling Overruled, and you know, both of us are going to share some takes. We're going to have the chance to overrule one another. Yeah, it's a tennis pun, but get over it. We're trying to be creative here. So Get with that over said- it. <laughs> so with that said, Max Rothman, my first question to you in terms of Taylor Fritz. One, I think his result in Newport proves he is he is ready to move beyond the challenger level. He's ready to play exclusively ATP events, and his ranking reflects that. As I mentioned, he's got a live ranking career high of number 40 right now. He is trailing fellow next-gen American Francis Tiafo, who currently has a live ranking of 30 and is obviously coming off of an Australian Open quarterfinal. Max Rothman, my hot take to you. Taylor Fritz is going to end this year ranked higher than Francis Tiafo. Am I right or wrong? Overruled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I So look, I, I like the way he played. I like the way he's been playing. Um, I've always been a big Taylor Fritz fan. But I'm going to continue to support Tiafo, who is going to run off the momentum from Australian Open. Not that Fritz doesn't have momentum from Australian Open because he had a great few rounds as well. But I think Tiafo learned a lot about his ability to hang tough in matches and, and, you know, mentally be able to go the distance with, you know, guys like Anderson, guys like Dimitrov. Um, and I just, I'm always going to be the fan of, of the guy who's a little bit of a better mover, uh, a little more athletic out there. I like Fritz's game. I think if he makes, again, makes alterations to it to be a little more aggressive, continue to work on that backhand down the line, which has gotten really good. The volleys, of course, we talk about all the time. Um, I I just, I don't see it. I I think Tiafa's got him. 
Okay, here's where I'm going to make my case. You look at the points they have to defend. Tiafo obviously has to defend that Delray Beach title. That'll be 250 points, maybe even 500. I don't remember if that's a 250 or a 500. It's a 250. Level. Yeah, so that's 250 points that he'll uh, you know, lose if he can't defend. For, for He's got to defend 1,070 points the rest of the year. Didn't have the best year last year, but still that Delray title is huge. For Taylor Fritz, only 776 points to defend the rest of the year. That's the equivalent of three 250 titles. Or if he makes one final, one final at a 500 level, a couple round of 16s at Masters, maybe even a couple second rounds, third rounds at Grand Slams, he makes that up very easily. I just think... I mean, this comes down to their performance during the clay season, right? It really... Oh, Francis Tiafo also the Esterol final to uh, defend. And I'm really not sure who's going to be the better clay court player. But I think Fritz is better on grass. I think he beats mm -hmm. Monfils at the Australian Open, which was an incredible win on its own. He's obviously... You know, I think he made the third round last year of Wimbledon. We've seen him go five sets with Isners in stock. I think his level of tennis on average... He wins a challenger title while asleep at the wheel. I mean, that's a testament (laughs) to how well he is playing. It's true. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking about it a little more. Just as far as the scope of the season... Like you, you're the point you made about all they have to do, is, you know, is win a 500 level, a 500 point tournament. You know, make it far in one of those uh, bigger tournaments. I mean, look, in two out of three sets, Fritz with that big game can shock some people. And like you said, what if he has a good run? He he's hitting big serves, big forehands, hitting that back end on the line. He makes a semifinal of a of a Masters, and that's a ton of points. Uh, whereas I I like Tiafo in the three out of five sets because of his ability to you know stay stay long in points stay long in matches his athleticism I don't want to second guess myself but uh, you should I'm gonna be right trust me this no, one I'm getting right there's the ego I love it. <laughs> Well, this is one of my preseason predictions as well. I'm just saying, even post Australian Open, I'm fine sticking with this. I wanted to t- have your temperature. Yeah, Take your temperature. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Tiafa, but right. uh, I, I see the the Fritz argument. Cool. You want to hit me with one of your takes? Sure. Um, <laughs> I know you're gonna like this one. This is a really hot take. So. Andy Murray just posted to Instagram a little photo of him in the hospital after another little hip surgery. So my hot take is that post-surgery, Murray makes a miracle quarterfinal or semifinal run at the 2019 U.S. Open. I'm not commenting. I don't know if you're trying to beat me, but I'm just not. I'm not talking Come about anything. Come on. No, that's ridiculous. I mean, let's see how he looks post-surgery. That's my answer to that. Give him some time. I'm not making a prediction about Andy Murray. I refuse. On principle. I'm not jinxing it one way or the other. I'm just not. Look, I think we saw him be able to come back. He was in pain. I think if he's pain-free, that movement gets a little bit better. I don't know how much time he's going to need post-surgery, but if he's healthy, going into U.S. Open has at least had one or two tournaments, you could see a miracle run from him. That's all I'm saying. I I, I said with Burditch that he was going to make a quarterfinal, <laughs> and you laughed at me. We could see something like this from Murray. So I won't, with- I won't make you talk more about it. I'm, no, I'm fine with that comparison, but don't you ever put Andy Murray and Tomas Burge in the same breath again. Uh, but speaking of Andy <laughs> Murray, the guy who knocked him out at the Australian Open, Roberto Bautista Agut, number 18 in the live rankings, 9-1 on the year, wins over Warinka, Djokovic, Burdich, Murray, Kachanov, Chilich. He's an Australian Open quarterfinalist, was dead against Tsitsipas, otherwise he probably would have continued that level. I know he's a guy you've been watching, Rothman. So my hot take for you, he ends the year inside the top 10. I want to say yes. I, I want to. Uh, I mean, he's I got. I don't know I, if he can sustain. I don't know if he can sustain this. Oh, I thought I looked it up. I did not look it up. I, he's got a solid sum of points to defend. Um, oh, I thought I. I don't know. I will look that up in the meantime. I just look here. Here's the thing. I don't well, know. Well, this I'll, I'll go. Play? I'll go a quick. Yeah, I was gonna say I'll go a quick rant while you look it up. Batista Goot, the the reason I I loved his play and loved the way that he was able to win was because of how aggressive he was, hitting really flat, hitting through the court. I actually, which is hilarious, worry about him on the clay. 
I, I weirdly feel like he made an adjustment to his game that allowed him to, you know, be more successful on the hard court. And I think the way that he was successful on the hard court is not how he's going to be successful on clay. So we'll see. I mean, clay is only a portion of the season. And obviously we end the year back on hard court. Uh, I don't know. I, I bet he ends at like 11. So he's got 1,345 points to defend. That's the equivalent of two ATP 500 titles and a final. You know, you can spread that out a bunch of different ways as well. But that's just, that's the type of, if he can do that a couple of times. Who's to say he couldn't, by the way? Or he makes, you know, a semifinal at a Masters. If he can sustain this level through this, the Australian summer hardcourt season and through the sunshine double of Indian Wells and Miami, that would be very beneficial because then the second half of the year he's got to, you know, he'll have a ton of points to play with. But I don't know. There's so many young guys. Top 10 is a little strong for me. All right. So that's fair. Speaking of the young guys, here's a hot take. I don't think that Stefano Tsitsipas – will be the next non-Big Four player to win a Grand Slam. You and I know that not, you... I do don't. not think that. I yeah. do not. I, I don't either. I just put that in as a question. I ah. just wanted to see if I could bait you into doing it. I, nah. We don't even need to talk about that one, but we can transition that into this. Of the young guys, Alex yeah, Zura, Karen Kachinov, Stefano Tsitsipas, Chorich, and Sorry. I'm going to throw Daniil Medvedev in there now because I think he's yeah, proven that he, he deserves, deserves it. it. Would you throw Dibenauer in there as well on that level or no? And Shapovalov? No. no. Yeah, they're still a tier below, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, to reestablish, oh, Zverev, Kachinov, Tsitsipas, Chorich, Medvedev. One of those players will win a Grand Slam in 2019, yay or nay? I have an answer for you, by the way, that you are going to like. What? They're, they're going to win two? No. <laughs> Alex Zverev is winning the French Open. I'm starting this bandwagon now. And oh, my I'm, God. Dude. How the f*** can you say that, dude? He literally can't even make it past a quarterfinal. Four losses last year on clay. He wins a Masters title, makes another Masters final. Um, he loses to Nadal. I mean, again, we're we're spoiled by the Nadal standard of you never lose on clay. You just – because you're Rafa Nadal that, and you're the best of that, all time. I, that's not but even not, about that. That's not why I say that. He just – he literally can't prove himself on – on the biggest stage, made the quarterfinal last year. I, just, I don't care. He he'll lose again at the quarterfinal or before right. that. I mean, Rayonic served out of his mind, and Zverev played particularly terrible in that round of sixteen this year. I watch him win a Masters event or two, maybe even win a five hundred. Maybe only lose once on the clay, and it's to Rafa in a match. Rafa, you know, just Rafa's on clay, but. I'm sticking with this take. This is the hot take I'm going to ride with, and I'm fine being wrong. Whatever. All right. Where do you, this is a a little bit of a tangent. Where do we think team ends up at this year's French Open? Semifinals at the worst. I mean, he's another guy who I think could win. At I would have worst. put him. I think it's going to be Zvira for team who wins the French Open. I think it's not even with be Nadal. team's current. Current well, here's level the, of play. Here's the real f-ing problem with this prediction: is that Djokovic problem. <laughs> <laughs> Djokovic playing this well throws everything off because it's like, well, never mind. Like that loss to Chechenko last year was a fluke. He's Novak f-ing Djokovic. Like he, yeah. when he's the best player in the world, when he's doing his thing, you just can't beat him. And so that could really put a wrench into this. And I reserve the right to see Djokovic on clay before really, really, really locking in on that prediction. But. One of Zverev or team. I think it's not going to be Nadal. Yeah. Uh, or Djokovic. I, look, I, but hedging I, with Djokovic is bullshit. I'm sorry for doing that. I was going to say, I, I don't think Nadal is going to win it either. The way he's moving, I don't see it. Um, the only other Grand Slam that I can see is a hot Kiachinov or a hot Medvedev in the U.S. Open. And, yeah. and that is like... Such a hot take. Like I I mean, look, you're you're expecting them to make it all the way through the season playing well, and then you still have the best hard quarter in the world, you know, Novak Djokovic. So I, I don't know. I think it's very <laughs> unlikely. Okay. Here's I'd the thought, look, we, we, if we there's keep a saying cra- Novak there's Djokovic, crazy... more likely, more likely, I'm sorry for cutting you off. One of those young guys wins a slam or Novak Djokovic wins all four. More likely <laughs> in your head. Uh, I it's love so your- it's so f- that I can't. Yeah, it's like a a debate. Um, 
Dude, honestly, Djokovic winning all four. <laughs> it's that's how crazy. That's, he's so good, dude. He's so fucking good. You know what the uh, sad part is? I can't say I disagree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I would love. I, I want to hear some people. Look, it's all arguments. barring injury. Of course, it's barring injury. If Novak Djokovic gets injured, yeah, you can but... throw all of this out the window. But if he sustains this level, I. I'm I'm 23 years old. Dude, I'm not we, claiming to be a bright tennis mind, but I am saying that I have watched more tennis than 99.9% of the population. I don't know how you beat a guy who's moving like that, who's hitting like that from all parts of the court. I just, I don't. Unless you tree out of your I mind mean, like Stan Wawrinka and hit him off the court, and only three guys in the world are capable of doing that, and two of them are over the age of 32, and the other one's Delpo, and he's broken. I mean, it, you're right. Look, there is a chance with the way he's playing that we get a 2011 round two. Seriously, we we could see it. I, I mean, this was how he started his 2011 with an unbelievable Australian Open a- and a tour finals before that. So was it 11 I, or 12? Am I crazy? For some reason, I have it stuck in my head that it was 12 was the season, but maybe that's just nah, the year of the two, Murray. 2000, 2011, he yeah. won Aussie Wimbledon U.S. Open. 2012. He won tour finals and Aussie. That was it. Yeah. He didn't win anything else. Uh, yeah, you're his right. other his just... other his other super impressive year was 2015. No, that's when he you. won. The reason 2012's in my head is that's the year he played Murray in the best match of all time in the semifinals of the Australia Open. But we'll uh, you know my take on yeah, that. Yeah, best match of all time. I just look. This, it's, it's funny because this on. wasn't even one of wait, our hot takes. Wait, wait, this is this is the year. Of, it's it's the cycle of four. 2011, he had three Grand Slams. 2015, he had three Grand Slams. 2019, baby. Four-year spreads. It's literally, it's bound to happen. You've been crunching away too many numbers. I know, man. I'm a numbers <laughs> guy. Hilarious. All right. Well, then, we'll, we'll hold that there for another time. We can get into that another time. But I want to do a couple more, and then I promise we'll wrap up. Jack Sock right now, live ranking 108. He's got 530 points to defend. Most of that's from his Paris quarterfinal. As we remember, he lost first round at the Australian Open to Alex Bolt in four sets. My hot take and this is on the or this is in response to his you know he talked to the New York Times this week and said if I'm not making it in singles yeah. I'm done playing tennis and and f- that like the way he talked about doubles and that was ridiculous he's kind of an asshole but keep going well my my hot take to you is he does not crack the top 100 in singles this year yeah or no. look by the way, this was overruled. Uh, Great segment. We haven't yeah. done much overruling because it's yeah, no. I mean, I'll, I'll overrule you. I, I think he will probably break the top 100. Um, I, I think he is. Be- he's look. He's better than a lot of the guys in the top 100. So he he probably will break that top 100. If he doesn't, I bet I bet he quits. I bet he retires. I bet. He, I, seriously, I bet he, that's it. <laughs> Vegas offers you odds for who? And let's say it's. Plus two fifty for both guys, Jack Soccer Nick Kyrgios. Who's on tour longer? <laughs> it sucks uh, that we're having this conversation. By the way, I know because I, I know, and it's only half both... joking. <laughs> it, it is only half joking. Okay. Um, What's more likely to happen? <laughs> Djokovic sock. winning all four slams or Sock actually retiring at the end of this year? <laughs> Djokovic winning all four Grand Slams. <laughs> I know you That's agree. What saying, what's the point? Why are we even playing these? We know who's going to win. It's been the same the last 10 years. Well, yeah, maybe we should just honestly take the top 20 guys, shrink the draw so it's only the top 20, and play best <laughs> five out of seven sets. Really yeah, push them. <laughs> the, tra- the transition to it really isn't confusing enough. Also... <laughs> Did you say five out of seven sets? You mean five out of nine? Five out of nine. Jesus. <laughs> hey, great shot. Hey, well, great that, shot. Yeah. That proves we should end, so we'll do our last question here. We already talked about Djokovic in the highest Grand Slam, so we, we can skip that. But my question to you about Naomi Osaka. She obviously gets this title win, is up to world number one on the year, live ranking number one, has 7,030 points, That's but she has 4,845 4, to defend. Obviously, 2,000 of those from her U.S. Open titles. She's also got the Indian Wells titles points to defend, but then a lot of other uh, tournaments to play with. Max Rothman, 
does she end the year ranked number one? Because of all the points, I'm going to say no. She'll probably be the top three. Yeah. She'll she'll stay she'll stay in that top four. Here here's my hot take for you. Considering she just if won you back say to Serena, back. Oh, okay, never mind. I thought you were going to say Serena. No, I'm not. I'm not going to say Serena. But hot take: Osaka will end her career with double digit Grand Slams. I don't hate that. Sure. Sure. She's 21. The odds are in her favor. She's got 40 grand slams left under your principle. If she's got four, she's got 60 grand slams left. If she plays 60, uh, 60, if she plays 15, 15 more years, years yeah. that's her. If, yes. Do I think, do you think she could win eight out of the next 60? That's literally what you're betting on. 10% of, of the grand slam. She plays that's all essentially. The, the hard courts. Sure. She wins what? There's 30 on hard court. She'd have to win a third of those. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean it's hard to get double digit grand slams. Yeah, I, I I see it. There are so many young talented players out there. I'm not ready to make that. Do I think she'll win multiple grand slams in her career? Like multiple more, of course. But it's, I don't know. Double digits is a lot. I think Petra Kvitova wins this year's Wimbledon. I, if that's a hot take, I don't think it's a hot take. Yeah, she, she can I, she can just hit anyone off rips. the board. She, <laughs> she really rips. was one of the few. She overpowered Osaka. It was so I, I like I don't as much as we talked about Osaka. Oh, I disagree with that. No, 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 no. She didn't overpower she didn't, oh, no, no. Osaka. Sorry, when she had success, it was because she was able to overpower Osaka, and that's Which such a hard, hard thing to, to do. do. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I meant. Um, Fair enough. But we can leave it there, Rothman. Any final thoughts on the Australian Open? No, uh, it was a great two weeks and. I'm looking forward to honestly I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to the clay season. I know we're not there yet, but I kind of I'm already kind of looking forward to it. Oh, I I'm excited for the summer hardcore season and we should say before we wrap up, we have to give a huge thanks to our entire Cracked Rackets team. They, you know, they worked their asses off throughout the entire Australian Open to keep every uh, everyone, all the listeners, all the fans up to date with information and it was so much fun for all of us. So, thank you all of you for tuning in as well. You know, that is why we make these sort of things a uh, huge huge shout out to both Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff who fucking killed it over the australian open editing these daily pods so that we could get you guys you know instant updates talk about the matches as often as we've done so huge thank you and a huge hey great shot to them huge thank you and huge great shot to you max rothman as always for coming on the podcast um uh, and it, and you know what you deserve one as well you don't uh, you don't get them enough from me and because <laughs> i don't like giving them to you because you you get too full of yourself when i do but you were on a lot of pods I so, think hey, was, great, hey, great shot to you. If you include the college tennis, it was like 12 and 15 days. I This is why we didn't record Sunday night because I needed to rest my vocal cords. And I swear I wasn't baiting for a thank you from you. But thank you, Rothman, for mentioning that. But one last time from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, from our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and for for and from my lovely co-host and what did i call it my doubles couple maxwell lepower <laughs> rothman i'm your host alex gruskin maxi what do we say to our listeners i great shot oh the last australian of the year and we will see you all for the summer hard beat australian summer hard court season i guess thank you everyone <laughs> great shot thank you, maxi. great shot thank you, alex. <laughs>